Christmas where we focus in on the arrival of Jesus. And it's become something of a yeah, fairly universal church tradition around the world. Uh, so it's not in the Bible, but it is very much a great thing to do for us. And we're not commanded to do it, but it's a great thing to do. We're actually celebrating Advent on two separate levels, which is one of the things you will pick up uh, through Advent season, I'm sure. The first level is the obvious. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus. It's Christmas time. Of course we are, right? Uh, we're, so we're focusing in on the, the birth of Jesus. Uh, Christmas means that God himself has entered into our world, entered into the mess. He has come, he has taken on humanity, he is born in flesh the same way you and I are, with all the screaming and all the blood, right? That is how Jesus came into this world. I, in the last, I don't mean to be crude, it's just true. Uh, um, in the last month or so, I have had the wonderful privilege of welcoming not one, not two, but three nephews, three baby boys born in the last month to my, uh, in my family, the, the twins, Harry and Charlie, Tim and Molly, you guys, may, uh, many of you will have heard about the twins, but also my big brother, Daz, and his wife, Ash, had a baby boy, Jordan, just days after the twins were born. So there are three new babies that I get to hold at Christmas time and get reminded about the fact that one day God came as one of these teeny, tiny, helpless baby, vulnerable, needy, entirely dependent on a mother for feeding, for holding. Guys, God came as a baby. Don't let that, don't miss that this Christmas. Don't miss the beauty of Christmas. Uh, Tim Keller says this about Christmas. He says, Christmas is not just about a birth but about coming, an arrival. Do you see the difference? Christmas is not just the story of the birth of a great man, but the story of God himself come down, entering into our creation, taking on flesh. And so this Advent, what we're doing is we are, we're kind of entering into the anticipation of the people of God as they were awaiting their Messiah. We're entering into the, the, the waiting, the hopeful expectation of the people of God waiting, and we're kind of reenacting that as we wait for Christmas. We're kind of like entering into the longing and the anticipation. We're pre preparing ourselves because God is coming. And so that's one side of Advent. But there's a second level of Advent because we don't, in the Christian faith, have just one Advent, do we? There's a second Advent, the second coming of Jesus. We are today awaiting his second coming. And so... Where we sit in history, we, we sit wedged between the first and second coming of Jesus. We remember the one and we look forward to the other. And so this Advent, we are we're remembering that life isn't as it should be. Part of Advent is, I don't know how much you're, like, you're aware of this or how much you're dialed into this, uh, this fact, this Christmas, but the world is not as it should be. Things are not as they should be be in this world. There is pain, there is suffering, suffering, there is evil, there is injustice. We have to pray prayers like we did just earlier for Judy. Why? Because, guys, this isn't it. We haven't reached heaven yet. We are awaiting something else. And so our time in Advent, is an also, it's also a time for us to acknowledge that we're still waiting. We're awaiting the coming king. We're awaiting the restoration of the world. This is what one, one writer, Harrison Warren, said. 
He said, to practice Advent is to lean into an almost cosmic ache, our deep, wordless desire for things to be made right, and the incompleteness that we find in the meantime. So we feel the ache, and we acknowledge this isn't how things should be. We're, we're awaiting a, a coming king. And we have that hope to stand on that one day the king will return and set everything right. And so those are the kind of the, the dynamics at play during Advent. We're celebrating the coming of Jesus. We're waiting for that. But at the same time, we're, we're going, ah, this isn't it. There's still more to come from our king. And so Advent helps us dial back into that ultimate hope. Do a thing with me now. Go, come with me on a memory journey. I'm going to try and... Um, okay. Do, do, just do a thing. Just go with this. Cast your mind back with me to mid to late primary school. Okay? Remember the plastic chairs with the metal rails? We all sat in different chairs, but you're getting my version of the memories. <laughs> Remember your teacher. Who was your teacher? Remember where you sat in the classroom? Remember the fans? No air cons, right? Remember the fans? Different times. Back in my day, right? Remember... Um, the things you were learning about in school. Remember where you used to sit in the classroom, maybe in grade five or six or seven? I, I think music's quite a powerful memory tool. So remember what was playing on, the, on like the top 100? What were the kids playing on the whatever, whatever it was? For me, it was, um, I'll, 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 sh- I'll date myself by sharing, Teenage Dirtbag yes. by Weedus, Alien Ant Farm, Smooth Criminal, Bye 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 by InSync before Justin, you know, shaved his head. Got rid of the uh, the noodles here, um, and um, there was another one. Destiny's Child. <laughs> Say my name, right? Okay, so that's that's what's on the radio in this memory for me. It'll be different for you. Now the reason the reason I want you to enter that scene is because there's this very specific social dynamic I'm trying to evoke that won't make sense outside of that context. Okay, so put yourself back there. Now see, we'll see if this works. I'm going to tell you a story about that era of school for you. Uh, there was a boy. Let's call him Jake. <laughs> I've, got, I've got to come up with names, and so I think this row is going to be my names today. Sorry, guys. Um, young Jake is playing soccer at school at lunchtime with his mates, okay? When, as he's playing, up comes Lucy, followed by Greta and Jane, giggling away. Okay? This isn't a stretch, okay? And they come bearing a message for Jake from a fourth girl who was not brave enough to be there, which is why I skipped you, Juliet, because you're going to be that girl, okay? They're wearing matching shirts. You guys can't see this, but they're wearing like matching shirts, which makes this even better, okay? So these three come bearing a message from Juliet to Jake, who's playing soccer at lunchtime. He's busy. He doesn't care about girls yet, right? He's just kicking goals, um, taking names. <laughs> and they bring a message. We all know the message at this point, okay? Um, the giggles give the message away. We know what's happening here. Now, I just want to stop the, the story and go, it's funny to like, acknowledge the fact that some of you were Jake in this story. Like, you, you were that person, and this happened to you. Some of you were the girls in this story and you remember bringing that message? Some of you were the Juliet in the story. And I'd love to take a like, show of hands who did what. 
Um, but we're going to leave that in the past. Uh, and all that nonsense will leave firmly where it belongs in grade five. Now, with, with, our, with our adult maturity, we know that that is probably a terrible idea and that it is very unlikely that such an awkward social dance is going to result in any kind of stable relational foundation for a new romance to blossom into, right? And so we know that that's, that's a bad idea. Stepping past that silly kind of childish example, we all kind of know it's a bad idea to send important messages through others and that some things actually need to come out of our own mouths. For example, young men who are unmarried, don't send your best mate to propose. You do that one yourself, all right? That needs to come out of your mouth, not your mate's mouth. I don't care how busy you are. I don't care what game is on. It might be the World Cup, too bad, all right? I might have been up at five o'clock watching Australia lose. I'm sorry. It's just, you gotta do it yourself. This Advent season, I want us to hear the meaning of Christmas from the mouth of Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to go into the Word and we're going to ask the question, Jesus, we're going to find places where Jesus says something like, I have come so that dot, dot, dot. Right, so instead of us kind of going to looking for what is Christmas all about, we're going to actually let Jesus tell us why it is he came. Jesus, why are you here? He has plenty of things. We're going to let him speak for himself this Christmas because people have plenty of crazy things that they want Jesus to be about, right? Every political party ever has tried to claim Jesus as the, like he's on our side on this issue and against you. Every ideological kind of um, movement claims, claims him, right? Even, even Hitler himself was like, if Jesus was here, he would, he would be a good Nazi like me and he would congratulate me for, for my kind of way of doing things. Side note, Hitler has now met Jesus and knows that he is very much incorrect in, in on that front. He was very mistaken on how he claimed Jesus would respond. And so this Advent, we're going to go to the words of Jesus, and we're going to let him speak for himself, and we're going to ask the question, Jesus, why, why does Christmas matter? Why does Christmas matter to us? Why is your birth such a big deal? And so we're going to, uh, today we'll do a particular verse in the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, I have come, so that. And next week we'll do one from the Gospel of Luke. So, Turn with me to John 12. That's where we're going to be jumping out of this morning. We're going to pick up on one of John's very favorite metaphors. He loves this one, but I'll let you discover it for yourself. John 12 from verse 32. This is Jesus speaking. He's speaking to the crowds. He has entered into Jerusalem. He is in now his final few days before he is crucified. So this is the very end of Jesus' life. So he's no longer like being secret Jesus, trying to like hide his identity. He's now very blatantly explaining everything to the crowds. He says this, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ must remain forever. Side note. Um, that's the reading that Troy did earlier. It's one of the very many places in Isaiah 9 where it's very clearly said that this king is going gonna to rule forever. Right? This, this is going to be an eternal king. And so they're saying, we know that the Christ is going to be a forever Christ. How can you say then that the Son of Man must be lifted up as in crucified? Who is this Son of Man? So they're all just confused and trying to get to the bottom of this. Jesus said to them, 
The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While, the one, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Dropping down to verse 44 now. And Jesus cried out. We should always pay attention when we read something like that. Jesus is now not just saying something. He is crying something out to the crowds, okay? There is a tone shift. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees he who sent me. I, key verse, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Just before Jesus said, what? The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. I have come into the world as light so that those who are in darkness may not remain in darkness. So, so Jesus, why does Christmas matter? Why have you come? I have come into the world as light, as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Every single day you get up, the sun rises, it warms the earth, it illuminates, it provides growth on our earth. Every day the sun does that, and every dark room we enter, we will stumble and fall until we switch on the light and we can see again. And Jesus is saying, just as the sun provides warmth and illumination, just as you need the light to see and make sense of reality, I am that light. And I've come to shine in the darkness. I am the true light. This is Jesus' teaching, and he's picking up on something that appears all the way through the Bible, that Jesus is the light. We've heard it already this morning from, from Troy in the reading from Isaiah 9-2. I'll just do that one quickly. This is 700 years prior. It says this, The people who walked in darkness, that's us, have seen a great light. Those who dealt, dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has shone has light shone. And jumping into the, into the ministry of Jesus, he says this in John 8. He says, I am the light of the world. What the sun is to the earth, so I am to humanity. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And finally, the prologue of John. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Last one from Revelation 22. I mentioned this last week or the week before. Last paragraph of the Bible, last page of your Bible, last few sentences. In Revelation, Jesus is called the bright morning star. The bright morning star. I don't know if you've ever been awake before the dawning of the sun in the morning. Some of you would have been for the World Cup this morning. Um, and there's a, there's a that, the concept of there being darkness, but for 
the bright morning star that cuts through that darkness. And that's, that's the title that the, the Bible ends on. So that's the title we have ringing in our ears as we finish the Bible. Jesus is the bright morning star. He's the light bringer. His light will cut through the darkness and mask the, mark the dawn of a new day. The dawn of light and life. Light and life. So we've gone with light and life to all he brings from the great Hark the Herald as our theme. Um, today, I've got three simple points, easy to remember. Our world is darkness. <laughs> Jesus comes as light into the darkness. Our world is darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. Number two. And number three, Jesus calls us to join him in the light. We are called to a response. Our world is darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. And we are called to respond by joining him into the light. So let's begin our time. Firstly, Jesus is saying our world is darkness. Spiritual, spiritually speaking, our world is in spiritual darkness. There is a darkness and despair that is over our world today that is so intrinsic to our world that to focus on it for too long becomes traumatic for us. To think about the real evil that exists in the world is not something we can do for too long. But here's the big problem, the bigger problem. Our efforts to fix what is wrong are never going to be enough. The darkness is so thick that we can never change what is truly wrong. There was a time in history not too long ago where humanity generally, genuinely thought that we could do that. Uh, there's, there was, there was a, the myth of, well, we've got a myth now, um, enlightenment. During that time, there was this idea of progress that our technology is getting so much better, so fast, we've gone from, the, from this, things are just moving so fast, technology is moving so fast, that people genuinely thought, at this rate, we are going to get to utopia. We're going to be able to figure it out. We're going to be, going to be able to get to a place where everything will be perfect. Technology will get us there, medicine. Um, we're going to get to a place where we can all live perfect lives in perfect harmony with one another, perfect harmony with the world, and live genuinely fulfilled lives. They were like, we could do this. This is actually on the horizon, and everyone had this kind of thinking. And we made these leap forwards all at once. Like It all happened so fast that it took a while for the, uh, the world to figure out that that wasn't going to happen. But then something happened in the story of the world. Well, a few things happened, but the final nail in the coffin was the 20th century happened. The 20th century came along and obliterated the idea of this progress, this march towards utopia, because our progress, let's just say our progress leapt back by order of magnitudes over that time. It was the bloodiest century of the history of the world, more deaths than the previous 19 put together by all accounts. And it's hard to be optimistic about us reaching a place where we're all finally in utopia when there's bombs dropping outside, where we have created this, you know, the modern weaponry had created wars where it is a meat grinder and we are destroying generations of men and devastating entire countries. On top of that, obviously, all the horrific war crimes that went on through the 20th century. It, no one could look at what happened and go, yeah, I think we can still get there. No, we had the technology, we had everything we needed, and there was something still deeply wrong. We still found ways to walk in darkness. One writer, Amy Joseph, she said, 
she said it well when she said, the beauty of our humanity is still evident, but ugliness abounds. Do you feel the tension there? It's like, yes, there's something wonderful and beautiful about humanity, and that's never going away, and yet there is this ugliness when we look around the world and we see the devastation going on that we can't ignore. These things are both true, and we've, we've done an incredible job of proving time and time and time and time and time and time again that there is something so deeply, profoundly wrong with us all that we are never going to figure it out. We should know by now that the answers can't be in us. Because what, when has that ever worked? When has that ever worked for us? We should know by now that that's not the case. And yet we keep making the same mistake again, again, and again, and again. We're so committed to the idea that we can forge for ourselves that glorious tomorrow, that brighter future, just by following our own light. I think it's time for us to acknowledge that we have gotten ourselves into the mess. We cannot get ourselves out of the mess. I'm talking in broad humanity terms, but you know this for your life as well. This is true for you on a micro scale. The darkness, according to Jesus, is very real. So we need to face it. We can't ignore it. We can't pretend like this isn't a problem. But it's not just out there. It's in here, too. It's not just out there. It's in here, too. But here's what's amazing. Here's what's amazing to me. And here's what's what's amazing about Christmas. It's our dark world and our deep darkness in ourselves that God deeply loves. Isn't that amazing? It's our dark world and our own darkness that the God of light deeply loves. And his response to our darkness and to our despair is not to curse us, to lecture us, or to belt us, but to enter into humanity as a baby, to rescue and redeem us, to shine his light, and to bring the force of a billion suns into the darkness. That's our God. He's the light of the world. And his light shines in the darkness. Look at what Jesus, in his own words, says in John 12. He says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So what does it mean that Jesus is the light? Okay, that's a, it's a very big idea, I think. What does it mean that Jesus is the light? Um, have you ever walked into a dark room? If you do it at my house, you'll trip over toys and then reach for the light. That's how it works in my house. But basically, when you switch on that light, there's three things that will instantaneously happen at the speed of light, quicker than we can see it. First thing that happens is the darkness flees. Right? It turns its tail and runs. It doesn't put up a fight. It doesn't go toe-to-toe with the light. There isn't some kind of like cosmic battle between the light and the dark before it runs. No, the darkness vanishes. Friends, the light of Jesus doesn't make the darkness slightly less dark. It doesn't dilute the dark. It destroys the dark. It destroys it. It doesn't coexist with dark. It destroys the dark. This is what John said in John 1.5. He says, The light shines in the darkness... And the darkness has not overcome it. That word overcome is um, kind of fascinating. It can also equally be translated understood. So the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't understood it, hasn't conceived it, can't, can't overcome it. 
And so that classic image uh, that I see sometimes of like Jesus and Satan have an arm wrestling match over, um, over the earth, it's laughable, right? There's no arm wrestle between, between light and dark. It's just, it gets destroyed. And so God stepping into the, uh, into the world marks the beginning of God invading our reality. And things change when God enters our reality. The light shines in the dark. And the darkness cannot overcome it. So the first thing that happens is the light conquers the dark. The second thing that happens is the light illuminates the dark. We can see now. We can, we can see the world now. We can see where the toys are, so you can step around the toys and not trip over the toys, like in my house. Um, C.S. Lewis, he famously said this. He famously said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. So he's saying it's not just the content of the faith, it's not just the truthfulness of the faith itself for me that is compelling, but the fact that in its light, all of a sudden, all that I can see. Everything makes sense now. The world is comprehensible in the light of Jesus. And so he's talking about just the phenomenal explanatory power that, that Jesus has, that the story of the Christian faith has. And it really does have sense. It makes sense of everything. The days of, of fumbling around in the dark, trying to make sense of life for the Christian are over. We can see reality. Jesus is the light. All of a sudden, the big questions of life will fall into place. Right? The questions like, why am I here? What am I doing? What's my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? What is life about? What, what actually matters? Where do I come from? Where do I come from? What is my destiny? Where am I going? What is this all pointed towards? How about this one? How do I make sense of suffering? How do I make sense of suffering? How do I make sense of good and evil? Are they real things? Or are they just convenient things, uh, convenient categories for us to make sense of the meaningless events that happen around, around us? And so we just use these ideas of good and evil just so we can make sense of things that don't make sense. These questions in the light of Jesus find real life, real clarity. And so I just, like if you're here and you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing, can I just say, keep asking the questions, keep exploring, keep going, keep asking those big questions. I'm pretty convinced that you'll be surprised at what you find. Jesus is the light of the world and he makes sense of the world. He really does. I think you'll be surprised by what you find. Um, just a quick sidebar, something I'm, something I'm just a bit excited about in general. Um, if you would like to think more about that and how the big questions kind of, um, that Jesus makes sense of so much in our world and the things we hold dear, uh, my book of the year for this last year, 2022, is a book by a guy called Glenn Scrivener. He's an Aussie guy living in the UK. And he wrote a book called The Air We Breathe. And it is best book of the year in my, um, here's the whole title. I'll give you the whole title. The Air We Breathe, How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Kindness, Progress, and Equality by Glenn Scrivener. It is fantastic. Go read it and then come talk to me about it because I'm very excited about it. Um, get the audiobook. He's a preacher and it's him doing the audiobook. So it's, it's just like a bunch of awesome sermons. Um, there are genuine answers 
Jesus is the light of the world. Final thing the light does, and we've seen it up on the screen there, the light exposes. The light exposes. It conquers the dark. It illuminates the world, but it exposes our sin. The darkness inside of us needs exposing. It does. And Jesus brings the spotlight. Let's look at this in John 3 together. This is Jesus speaking. Uh, This is a personal conversation Jesus is having with a guy called Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee. And he's coming asking all kinds of questions about what Jesus is up to. And Jesus is pushing back against the resistance to his coming by by those who should have known better. So this is what he says in John 3. It says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Do you mind throwing that on the screen? Sorry, Barbara. Just, I've done, just so the crew can, it's worth looking at is all. It was the previous one. There we go. This is the judgment. I'm pretty sure. Yep. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not want to come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus is putting his finger on the self-refusal to come to God, to come to Jesus in particular, because it would mean having to step into the light and having their own personal darkness exposed as evil. And that is traumatic for us. And the darkness feels safe. And the light feels dangerous. Stepping into the light means getting honest with ourselves and getting honest with God. That's hard. It's very hard. (laughs) That takes a serious moment of courage, right? Just like Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned, hiding in the bushes from God, covering up their guilt and their shame. Right? People do the same thing. They run into the bushes and pretend God can't see them. Problem is, God is omniscient. Hiding in the bushes is not going to work. It's like, like when a baby closes their eyes and thinks that you can't see them anymore. Right? That, that's what's happening. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's hilarious. doesn't get less funny. The light feels dangerous. It actually takes courage to step into the light, to receive that light of Jesus. It does not feel safe. Stepping into the light, it feels uncomfortable because it exposes the darkness, and it's actually there, right? It it leaves us without anywhere to hide. And I think we can all think of things in our lives that we would rather remain in the dark. Jesus says, no. You need to bring it into the light of, of life so that you can receive forgiveness from the Lord and healing at that very point of deep shame and guilt. That's where you need God the most. That's where you need him the most, not the least. You need him to shine his light into that place and you need to step into that light. 
Hiding in the dark feels like freedom, but it is the exact opposite of freedom. You are trapped by your shame. Stepping into the light is perfect freedom. Stepping into the light is perfect freedom. This is the call from Jesus. He wants you today to join him in the light right now. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What Jesus offers you today and to me today is a life where you have nothing to hide. Nothing to hide. And nothing to prove. Nothing to hide, nothing to prove. That is the life of the Christian. And it is a glorious life. It is a freedom, a life of freedom. And he wants to give you that gift today. The gospel says, by the kindness of God, you are loved and accepted. By his kindness, you are loved and accepted. Not on the basis of your track record. Not because of what you have done or not done. But on the basis of his life lived, his death in your place for your sin. On that basis, he wants to give you grace and give you the right to call him Father. The right to call him Father. And so today, this is my call. The darkness feels safe. It is not safe. The darkness is where shame grows and gains power. Light is where you can live in perfect freedom, where you have nothing to prove, nothing to hide. He takes away our guilt. He takes away our shame. Darkness is where we go to die. The light is where we go to live. It's as simple as that, friends. Darkness is where we go to die. The light is where we go to live, where we receive his life, his fellowship, and his grace. And so I think today what this means is for some of you, this is maybe a step you need to take for the very first time. You have never stepped into the light in any meaningful way. Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So for some of you, it might mean praying a prayer that you've never prayed before. A prayer that goes something like this, Father, I know that I am in the dark. I know that you are the light, and I want to follow you into that light. I know I have sin, but I know your forgiveness is greater than my sin. I know that I am stuck in the dark, but I know that you can lift me out of the pit of the darkness into your light. So rescue me. Amen. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, he said this, And I found this such a wonderful encouragement to those of us who find ourselves unable to step into the light because it is terrifying. (laughs) This is what Diedrich Bonhoeffer said. He says, you are a sinner, a great desperate sinner. Now come as the sinner that you are to the God who loves you. He wants you as you are. He does not want anything from you a sacrifice or a work. He wants you alone. You can, hide from, you can hide nothing from God. The mask that you wear before men will do you no good before him. He wants to see you as you are and he wants to be gracious to you.
you do not have to go on lying to yourself or to, brother, or to your brothers as if you were without sin. You can dare to be a sinner. I love that last line. You can dare to be a sinner. You know you are. He knows you are. Everyone, like everyone knows we all are. So you can dare to be one. You can go receive grace and drop the mask that you're wearing. Walk in the light of life. Brothers of us this morning, there is a part of your life that has been left in the dark that needs to come into the light. Remember, you're a child of God. <coughs> Nothing to prove. Nothing to hide. And so stop, stop hiding. Bring it, into the, bring it into the light where you can receive healing from his hand. As Jesus hung on the cross, you'll remember in Luke 23, 44, something happened when he was hanging on the cross. Dark, darkness. Darkness covered the land. On the cross, Jesus bore the darkness, endured the darkness so that we would never have to. The cross was atoning for our sin. The light of life was distinguished so that we could receive that light for ourselves. And so again, hear these words of Jesus. Let me just say them again and again and again. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And this is, this is a response. There's a response being called for here, isn't there, right? You are not made to live in the dark. You're made to live in the light with him. Jesus says something crazy in that John 8 verse, on that John 8, 12 verse, though. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. They'll have the light of life. Jesus just said, I'm the light. You walk in the, in, the, in the light, you'll have the light, the true light, the light of life. Right? This is astounding because he's not saying you're going to have like this vague, spiritual, kind of conceptual, spiritual, happy glow. You're going to have capital L light, right? The person who is light. You're going to have Jesus himself to be your savior. And so this is the personal promise of Jesus to give himself to you wholly and completely, to be yours and to, for you to be his. Promises you wouldn't just have light, but that you would be with the capital L light forever. So let's go to him now in prayer. Jesus, you are the light of the world. You have promised to give yourself to us. We know the world is darkness. I don't think I need to convince anyone that's the case. But sometimes we need to be awakened to the darkness in us. We live in a kind of happy denial, distracted by Netflix and beach holidays and whatever else is going on. Lord, we, we need to be reminded that the darkness is real, that it's in us. And that we can't escape it. We can't escape it apart from you, that is, Lord. You shine in the dark. Darkness cannot overcome you. You conquer the dark. You illuminate the world around us so we can see where we're going and dodge the toys on the ground, Lord, and, and live lives that matter. Lives of purpose. 
lives that are in step with the reality that is actually there. But Lord, your light also exposes us. And that's hard, but it is so good. Like the scan that reveals a deep sickness in our body, the light exposes something that needs to be dealt with. Helps us see that we need to go to you for grace again. And so Lord, I pray for all of us in this room right now, Lord, who are hiding in the dark. Would each and every one of us hear the invitation of Jesus to walk in the light as you were in the light? To drag our sins, kicking and screaming if it has to, into the light where you can bring healing, redemption, and give us freedom. Lord, it's hard, but it is the best thing you could ever do. And so, Jesus, would you shine your light into the heart of each and every one of us today? And would we follow you into the light as you were in the light? Lord, this Christmas, would we not forget that you are the light of the world who shines in the darkness, that you have come to bring light? Would we not just celebrate the trappings of Christmas, the presents and the, the carols, Lord, but would we celebrate the substance of the thing, the glory of the God-man, the God-man, the God, the God, the God become man who walked among us. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.